And I'm New York Times bestselling author Rachel Houck. And we are two romance authors who are going episode by episode through Australian TV drama McLeod's Daughters and having a chat about it, which is great fun. We are up to episode two, Ducks on the Pond. So this episode, I'm just clicking over to my Wikipedia source of all knowledge here. This episode came out on the 15th of August, 2001. So uh, going back a little bit in time now, but... um, We start this episode with a recap on what happened previously. So basically the premise of the show, if you missed our first episode, is two half-estranged half-sisters have their father die and they together inherit his property. One is a city girl who's been away for 20 years. One has grown up in this property and worked it with her father. And now they have to basically work out what to do and if they're going to be able to um, go their separate ways or run this farm as women in the man's world of cattle farming. So, and it starts off with Tess in her pajamas, which I thought was cool. I really liked that. <laughs> Tess is like wandering around the farm in her PJs because it's super early and everyone's like already up and working and, um, <laughs> and she just kind of wanders out in these super granny PJs and bumps into this gigantic dude. And we find out that, uh, everybody's going to be shearing. The the shearing of the sheep is happening for this episode. So I guess it's a sheep and cattle property. Um, And that's kind of the main plot. Before we deep dive too much into the specifics, what did you think overall of this episode, Rachel? I really liked this episode because we got a little bit more into the relationship. We're just starting to discover what Tess is about, why she's shown up. But I will say this. I was a little tired of sheep shearing. Yeah. <laughs> there's like 10 minutes of these people shearing sheep and it of course <laughs> it was a lot and I was uh not raised on a farm or a ranch and I keep thinking I'm look at those sheep they have cut marks on them they're bleeding oh my gosh and then they're trying to like wrangle them to go shear them and they grab them by they kind of turn them over and then they grab them by their front paws and they drag them backwards over to the shearing station, which was weird because they all had to be back raking work. They didn't put them up on tables like I've seen. They were all on the floor, so they're hunched over shearing them. And, of course, they're going to get a few nicks and stuff. And I'm sure that the sheep skin is tough like a cattle skin. But I, I'm like, oh, look at all of them have nicks. Look at <laughs> They all have shaving nicks. And I didn't so, notice that. <laughs> and I, I just was a little, I was like, okay, I have seen enough uh, shearing of sheep. And then in the course of that, then you have a little bit of down the shirt shot and you have a little bit of, there's a lot of, I wrote on my notes, a lot of shots of their butts. So <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much all you see of anybody in the shearing shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of butt shots in this one, but there was also a lot of great things about this show, but those are kind of my overall thoughts. I could have done a little bit without all the, all the shearing. What was really cool, though, that you talk about the dogs. We talked about the dog that's in the, uh, Kelpie that Australia is kind of unique to Australia that they use in the ranching life and the farming life. And the Kelpies were in this show, and they were trying to get the sheep into the pen so then they could be dragged in and, and sheared. And the dogs would run on top of the sheep. And I know that yeah. sheep dogs sheep dogs do that but it was really cool to me to see the dogs actually running on top of them and and getting them where they wanted to be so it was mm-hmm. educational it's called backing i'm pretty sure yeah backing they, all right they see, jump there up we go. on their backs and like skip across them like stepping they were it was the coolest <laughs> yeah. it was the coolest thing 
It's very clever. They're very smart dogs. Um, so, yeah, I thought basically the part that I most wish this episode had had that it didn't was the boys. We have a whole farm next door of good-looking, interesting boys that I want to spend more time with. And they weren't out in this episode for even one second. No, <laughs> like, they weren't. They weren't dude. just the guys who they hired to shear the sheep. Yeah, a bunch of ugly shearers. Nobody is that interested in shearers. <laughs> no little no. dreams at night of marrying a shearer, folks. Like, <laughs> let's go this back. This is true. <laughs> and one of them, a suspected murderer. A suspected murderer. So yeah, this that wasn't episode fun. is basically revolves around there is a, uh, it is a fact that Vernon, the like six and a half foot tall giant shearer man, has done jail time. But the rumour mill starts when someone jokes that he was jailed for murdering his family and uh, and it goes from there and word spreads amongst the girls that he's a murderer um, when we don't know what he was jailed for for most of the episode. Um, actually, I don't know. You don't ever find out what he was jailed for. Um, and But it, I don't think it was murder. But anyway, the, it, they start telling stories and kind of freaking themselves out. And at the same time, they're having these issues shearing. So Claire has employed this uh, guy she appears to know, Marty, and his bunch of shearers to help them make this contract, uh, which is due to be collected, I think, the next day or within a couple of days. And it's a big deal. Claire is, you know, still living month to month with her bills. The show picks up only, I think, a day or two after the last episode uh, left off. And as they're getting ready to start shearing the sheep and the shearers are in the meantime are sort of flirting a little bit with some of the women becky shows up on the back of a motorbike with uh luke the last shearer and um in the middle of all the shearing excitement the girls get a letter from the solicitor uh tess gets a letter from her solicitor and claire sees it and is it kind of kicks off claire's suspicions that tess may have plans for the farm that claire won't like but they really delay having the conversation. She kind of sees the letter and they avoid it and they, it kind of goes off into shearing world for a while and it doesn't sort of come out until later in the episode about what's really going on there. Um, but I wanted to point out a couple of Aussie things at this stage. Uh, when you first see Claire talking to Marty and uh, she's carrying something from the ute over to uh, the shed, I think, uh, it's a big rolled up canvassing. That's a swag. This is another thing I reference in a girl's guide. Aussies have these things called swags and it's like a big sleeping bag made out of canvas. So you don't need a tent. Like back in the old days, the old dudes would, it was really just a blanket back then, but they would just have their swag strapped to their horse and they were swagmen and they would go across the place and all they had was their horse and their swag and that was all they needed to live. And uh, nowadays we have much fancier swags that in fact cannot be strapped to the back of a horse. They are super heavy, but they're like little one-man tents and, um, you know, we use them all the time when we go out camping and stuff. And that seems to be what their shearers take around with them everywhere they go because they just go from farm to farm shearing and that's how they make their living. So this is not the last time you will see a swag in McLeod's Daughters. So there you go. If you want to sound like you know your Aussie knowledge. That's what that is. Very good. I think we would just call it a bedroll. Yeah, that's probably the same thing. Yeah. Um, Australians, Australians sort of take like a – for something that – yeah, Americans have bedrolls. There's something about it that we seem to consider to be unique, but it probably actually isn't. We steal a lot of things that other countries have, and we claim them to be uniquely Australian. <laughs> Poor New Zealand. We do it constantly to New Zealand. <laughs> um, I think everyone also, does that. <laughs> 
They're also wearing blueies, so you'll see that they're wearing these blue singlets, blue tank tops. Um, Claire is actually looking pretty good. I wanted to comment that uh, she's wearing these jeans that I suspect are far more expensive than jeans you would wear in the dirty, dirty shearing shed would be. <laughs> but I'm quite sure, yes. Yeah, she's wearing these like really nice jeans and her uh, blue singlet tucked into them and uh, those Singlets are actually known as shearers' singlets, and they're a real thing that farmers wear all the time. Uh, over here, there is a thing called the Denny Ute Muster. I used to be a journalist in the rural town of Deniliquin, and they have a Ute Muster every year where everyone brings their Utes, and they have music and a big party, and they set the world record there every year for the most amount of people wearing a bluey in one place, which isn't the most exciting world record, but anyway, they said it. They like to say it's the world record-holding Ute Master. Um, and so, yes, it's a very Aussie thing that they're all, a, a lot of them are wearing in these shots. Um, Interesting. Yes. So th then there's a lot of shearing that we see happening. Um, and there's a lot of shearing, shearing in, I have done slow motion. And so I remember thinking it reminded me of the man from Snowy River, and so on, on Wikipedia, it says, I'll just read this to you guys. Um, following the success of the telemovie shown on Mother's Day in 1996, Nine Network agreed to commission a 22-episode series, but the project was left on the shelf for four years. Very much a Hollywood production type of thing. Yeah. The project was not revived until late 2000 after the opening ceremony of the 2000 Sydney Olympics featured a man, the Man from Snowy River theme, which highlighted the cultural significance to the Bush of the bush to Australians. And I, and I remember thinking when I was seeing these slow-mo shearing scenes, I was picturing a man from Snowy River when, you know, he's going down the side of the mountain in slow-mo and he's back on that yeah. horse. And uh, I thought, is this kind of a, a, an Australian production technique? Or it was just, so. <laughs> was it a I, nod to I the man from Snowy River, which I don't care. I think that's fantastic. After watching three episodes, I found the use of slow-mo <laughs> odd. Like the, the, the yeah. times I've used it, I've been like, why is this slow-mo? I also wondered if it was slow-mo because I have slightly dodgy internet at my house and I've been streaming it off the Nine Now app. And at first I just thought my internet was running slow and that's why the shot seemed to be slow. And then I was like, oh no, I think this is slow motion. And it's, it was at it was. Times. Yes. was uh, slow-mo. Yeah, we have a, a lot of shearing shots. We have a lot of rumors spreading about the shearer. Um, and then we get to the girls talking about uh, Claire overhears Tess talking on the phone about what sounds like a plot to sell off the farm uh, and then it turns out we seeing through the camera see that Tess is actually holding in her hand a uh, an ad for a cafe that's for sale and she's actually wanting to purchase the auction they're talking about she's wanting to purchase this cafe but Claire uh, is very snippy after that very <laughs> snippy makes very passive aggressive comments about people threatening people's homes and stuff like that um which may have resulted in tess's insomnia because once again she is wandering around in the dark oh <laughs> yeah it's three for there three goes episodes tess, the night walker she's in all in three episodes <laughs> she happens upon something that no one knows going on yes yeah, she sees one of the shearers um fighting with the big scary shearer that all the rumors are about and the the big scary one appears to be making threats against the other one. And so Tess comes in, she tries to lock the door, wakes Claire up. Claire is super chilled and is like, whatever, you know, they'll have a fight. They'll get over it. It'll be fine. Um, and then there's like a bit of a odd thing. I think 
we we cut to I'm trying to remember what happens. We cut to Becky and Luke in the back of the Ute having a bit of a cuddle. Um, a little bit more than a cuddle, but we don't yeah. see that. <laughs> yep. And then I've just written here Becky freaking out. I think I meant. But did they hear the shouts or so- something worried them? Uh, but I don't remember what it was. I think they must have overheard the fight as well. I, I believe so. And I in my so. mind, I'm thinking they heard shots or something. So yeah. something alerted them. Also woke up. Yeah, some, something yes. happened. That's right. There was like a big bang or something like yeah, that. Yeah, there's like this big bang and it alerts, uh, what's her name? And Luke. Claire wakes up. Beck and, and Luke. Gun. And then yeah. Claire wakes up, gets her gun and... Guys, she just walks right out, and I'm thinking, don't go out there by yourself. No lights, no nothing. She just starts wandering around looking for what's happening, and I'm like, no. So, I also uh, wrote here. This is this is definitely a cultural difference between our two countries. I wrote, lol, gun laws. Australia has very strict gun laws, which I will admit, many farmers utterly disregard a lot of the time. However, if you're busted doing it, you get in massive trouble. And Claire had that rifle sitting on her bedside table. You would get slaughtered for that over here if she was... I'm always like... I I do wonder about that when I watch uh, British and Australian shows, even the fact that she had that rifle in her ute to put down the calf. I picked up on that as well. I she thought, might have been able to get away with that, but I don't know. I thought, wait a second, you guys just can have a gun like that? That looks like the Old West. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, television, is, I said to my husband the other day, I'm like, television, what, what are we going to, who, what are they going to, what movies are they going to make if we literally don't have guns anymore? Yeah, <laughs> we need something exciting to happen. It made for a good shot. And I'm trying to remember when the gun laws came in. The massacre that triggered them was 96, so I think the gun laws were in by 01, but, um, but, yeah, anyway, it did strike me as unusual. Claire didn't know that she was going to have to shoot those cattle. So, yeah, she just had the gun laying in the back of the ute. That is a high-risk move with the highway patrol lurking about. But, anywho, it's the risk she's running. <laughs> there you go. We won't out anybody. <laughs> yeah. yeah so I don't know anybody who – everybody I know is a very law-abiding citizen. Um, so the girls have a bit of a chat in the kitchen because uh, – Apparently it was just a rat that it turns out that had startled Claire or something like that. She or she, Tess is like, "What are you doing?" She had a, oh, that's right. Tess was getting tea in the kitchen and Claire thought it was something, thought it was a robber, and came out with the gun. And they have a bit of a heart to heart there uh, in their PJs. And Tess finally just tells Claire about her plans and how she wants to set herself up with the cafe. And Claire doesn't have a very good reaction to it. Um, what did you think about the little little farm tour that she took Tess on? to try and talk her out of it. Well, I feel like that's something I would have done if my sister mm-hmm. was coming into town and, and we didn't have a relationship and now she's trying to take half of it. And let me show you what's here. Let me show you what we can have. Um, I don't know what Claire was planning on doing with it after Tess fell in love with it. She was obviously going to have to invite her to be a partner. Either way, Claire is stuck with Tess. I either have to sell something and give her money or I have to invite her in to be a partner. Either way, Claire's life is altered. But I thought it was good because then we got to see how Claire feels about the farm. That was nice to see and see what it means to her. It's not just um, a patch of land to her. It's all her memories. And we also find out more about Claire's parents. We see the hut where Jack died. 
Um, and we at that point, we just find out that he died in that location. And then we see where he's buried with Claire's mother. Claire's mother died, I think, in childbirth with her baby brother. Um, and so Claire's parents are buried next to each other, which um, I've kind of been waiting for the girls to have a bit of a fight about their mothers because Tess so romanticised, you know, Jack and Ruth, her mother, and the thought that her mother died and Jack couldn't live in a world that didn't have Ruth in it. Um, but, you know, Claire's mum was his first wife and seems to have been a happy marriage uh, that only ended because Claire's mother died. And, um, yeah, I've kind of waited for a little bit of rivalry to come out there. We'll see. I thought that we'll was see that. that was interesting too because Tess didn't know that there was a baby brother who died. Yes, yeah. So that was talked about it. obviously an emotional connection for her that, oh, I didn't know. So I think the, the writers of the show are trying to draw us a little bit more into the family dynamic it, do, it did feel very episodic to me, mm-hmm. like we had the first show and now we're having a second show. So we go it's, from wrangling cows to shearing sheep. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the, the plot felt to me like a bit of a filler episode and I did make a note. I was like, why is this episode two? Like you should be trying to really hook me in and keep me going, whereas this felt like a little bit – I would have buried this one down in like episode 16 or something like that. But <laughs> Yeah. It did feel a little – the pacing felt a little slow. And one, yeah, in one of my notes, I thought – um, I thought they were trying to, and, and I know this as a writer, you, you keep the dialogue back. You're, it was a little bit stilted in the dialogue, like someone's on the verge of saying that thing that should be said and then backs up and doesn't say it. And because you know in your mind, I can't say that until minute like 45. So, or for me or for us, we might, I can't say that until, you know, chapter 22. So, and I'm on chapter six. So I got to, you know, I can't. I call it dropping the bombs. Drop the bombs and see where the shrapnel goes. And yeah. so um, I just felt like they were trying to slowly introduce that Tess wanted to buy this cafe. Um, mm-hmm. But if for the first time for me, I was like, okay, now I understand Tess. And, mm-hmm. and she says, I believe, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I really want to do this. This is all I want to do. I love this. I love this cafe. This is my dream. So now we have opposing dreams. One of them wants this ranch to keep going and she wants to have it all in one cohesive piece. She doesn't want to sell off one single square mm-hmm. ounce of it. And yeah, then the other one, not even one bit, and then not even a blade of glass. And then the other one is, hey, I have a dream too and you can help me achieve it and I'll get out of your hair if you sell a couple acres. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, yeah. They do. And um, one thing I noted too, this is probably a difference between a show made in 2001 and me sitting here in 2020 thinking about it. Claire made a big deal about how four generations of her family had been on the farm. And I did think to myself, there was there was many, many generations prior to that of Indigenous people who would have occupied that land that is unacknowledged in the show. I feel like had that show been made today, they would have acknowledged that Claire's family was only there because they had, um, you know, remove some other people who were already there from that piece of land so I thought that was just a a little interesting note of um where Australian culture was at the time and where it is now and the way that conversation's been going in the public sphere about that um and so basically the girls sort of have have their little guilt trip I wrote here it was it was a pretty hard guilt trip that Claire waged against Tess there and then we go back to the shearers where there is a bit of drama Vernon is literally washing bloody hands <laughs> under the tap and uh, claims he sheared his hands <laughs> yeah, 
had his hand like skinning a rabbit or something and the guy he was fighting with has mysteriously disappeared and the only person who has allegedly seen him is Vernon, the scary one, who says his wife went into labour and that's why he left. But Becky whispers to one of the girls that Jason wasn't married, which looks very suspect. Um, this is a point at which I frustratedly wrote in all caps in my notes, where are the good-looking neighbour boys? <laughs> <laughs> Said this romance author. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at this point, Claire, um, so they just kind of let that sit there, that suspicion about Vernon. Then Claire is stressed about them not shearing the sheep in time and she thinks that the boys are going too slow. I don't know what motivation they'd have for going slow. They get paid per sheep. So they have, you know, the faster they finish, the faster they can go to the next farm and make more money. But anyway, she thinks they're being lazy and she challenges them to a competition between her and Marty. Whoever can shear the most sheep will win. Um, if she wins, they will work harder. If he wins, they get paid more. And I wrote here, I was hoping, like, I saw this and I thought, oh, I actually hope that Claire doesn't win because it just felt so unrealistic. Shearing sheep is backbreaking work. One thing they don't show them doing, um, Rachel mentioned that they would have had sheep up in tables. I've never seen sheep up on tables in an Aussie shearing shed, but what you do see is they have slings and the shearers actually, shearers are stuffed. Their backs are, like, done by the, the age of 40 or 50. But they have of these course. slings that they lean into and that supports their weight and they kind of hang in this sling and shear the sheep and um because it's backbreaking work and i don't think there is any fictional universe in which claire could have won that challenge but the cool thing was actually that she she put up a good fight and she came close but she didn't win marty is a professional shearer he's good at his job and he did win the bet but then in their conversation afterwards it kind of reveals that claire doesn't care that she lost she held her own and she got him she achieved her goal which was to just get him moving faster you know she didn't mind losing as long as he you know, got going and got the job done. And so I kind of liked that, you know, she kind of outsmarted him a little bit, the kind of bit of mastermind there behind her, um, some strategy behind what she, she's doing on the farm. Um, and then we find out earlier when Claire and Tess were talking, Claire passed by a spot and mentioned that her first kiss had happened there. And I had wondered if that was Alex, but it turns out it was Marty. They kind of allude to something happened at a 21st. They'd both attended, uh, and then it was a bit weird. It seemed like something to just tie them together a bit. And then they immediately begin to fight about he he sort of is making a bit of a pass at her and makes a comment that she can't really run this farm alone and she should do it with him. And she he tries to say, you should hire me and also seems to be sort of making some, you know, romantic, although it's not really very romantic. <laughs> That's a, probably a generous right. way to view it. Pass at her. And when she rejects that thought and really just says that she can do it herself, which he really shouldn't have been offended at. Um, he, he really chucks a dummy spit and he leaves and takes all his shearers with him. Um, yeah, that seemed a bit dramatic to me. I was like, what's really he doing? <laughs> and he, and yeah. wait a minute, you guys are earning money here. Where, mm -hmm. where are we going? So again, it felt a little bit like a plot ploy to keep Dude. centered on this is going to be run by women and women are going to save the day. Now, I, again, we love strong women, more power to all women everywhere, but it just don't make it hokey. So yeah. it just seems a little bit on the hokey, like, yeah. And I didn't mind the girls doing the shearing, but I almost wish that they had no, a, a little bolder in, um, in Claire actually making a mistake. I wish that she had have overstepped somehow and done, done something unkind or something to genuinely, um, tick Marty off, like in her effort to be a tough, I'm the boss 
farmer woman, she goes too far and forgets that, you know, tough is one thing, but you need ongoing relationships with these people. And, um, and if she had made a mistake and they left with a genuine grievance, I felt like that would have been, you know, she could have kind of learned a bit of a lesson there. Whereas, um, yeah, it just didn't really feel real that they left. But anyway, yeah. the girls pull an all-nighter. Claire puts in a huge effort. She does much of the shearing herself. The other girls are she does. pulling the sheep up and doing being. They're just and... kind of feeding the sheep to her and collecting the wool and uh, keeping yeah. it going. putting it in the wool bale and stuff like that. And then Vernon, the big scary shearer, he has a sense of honour and comes back. He feels bad the shearers have left him in the lurch. He comes back and finishes the job with them. And uh, they have a bit of a heart-to-heart afterwards, um, and he reveals – now, I can't even remember which sister he was talking to. He was Tess, wasn't it? That he, he was, was talking, talking to Tess, about. yes. Yeah. Um, she kind of realises when he comes through for them how wrong she's been in assuming that he was a murderer, which he's not. Um, we don't know what he went to jail for, but we do find out that he did lie about the other Shearer, Jason, leaving. They just had a disagreement and the guy had left, but he was now worried about what that, the rumours that guy was spreading about him, which were true. And this Shearer's big, deep, dark secret was that he was actually gay, which is even today I would say probably unusual for um, not something you would normally expect in the shearing world is still a pretty conservative portion of the population so he was pretty nervous about that whole thing but it kind of triggered a much more compassionate response in Tess who had been really spreading some pretty vicious rumors about him all weekend um, and then all of a sudden she realized how wrong she was and this was someone who had kids and really missed them and hadn't seen them for seven months or something I think he said um, and and didn't know how to cope with being outed by this um, other shearer so he was in a bit of a vulnerable state. Interesting plot point to use in 2001, not that, but that we weren't seeing that kind of uh, plot, plotting. You know, we have Will and Grace. We have um, other shows that are starting to have um, gay characters. But I just thought it was an interesting plot point here. So it certainly surprised me. Yeah, it surprised like, me as well. It surprised yeah. me as well. So, again, I, we don't mind these kind of plot points, but it has to, to me, feel sincere. And I wasn't sure that I felt it was entirely a sincere plot point. So uh, we'll, we'll see what they do with the character as the show goes on, if he even is a recurring character at all. But sometimes I feel like show producers and show writers are just trying to shock us or do something so out of the norm, as you said, it probably isn't typical in that conserv- conservative community, which is fine to say, hey, it can happen. We're, it's all good. But in, this, that, in that sense, I just thought, okay. I'm not sure I bought it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Um, and that's pretty much – that brings us to the end of this episode, really. The um, – the oh, the very end. That's right. I forgot about this. The girls then go back to the house and Claire is in the office and Tess just hears Claire, I think, swearing to herself or something and goes in and is quite concerned about what's wrong. And Claire has just realised that she miscalculated the dates. They actually had a full week to have delivered the wool yeah. for that Yeah, that, that was cute. That was cute and probably very typical. You probably have a typical, uh, typical to mess up the dates or, or, or things to get shifted around. She so yeah, was so stressed that she'd miscalculated. And what I liked was that she tried she tried to swear test to secrecy and say, you know, you can never tell the others; they'll kill me. You know, I flogged them all night to get that shooting done. And Tess is like, well, I think they'll notice when the wool is still in the shed this time next week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was really cute. 
Claire kind of gave the first genuine laugh, I think, of the episode, and it was sort of nice to see. It felt like she was just sort of blowing off the steam that had been building inside of her all episode. So they had a nice little moment there. And I uh, only had one other note, which was another sort of Aussie word check. Um, they mentioned smoko in there, which I'm not sure if Americans are familiar with the term smoko, but it basically means like morning tea or afternoon tea, smoko break, you know, you're going to go have your your little cup of tea and your bicky and something and have a little rest and then go back to work. So I wrote down this word, uh, brekkie. Oh, yeah, short for breakfast. Breakfast, okay, yeah. I, I'm like, did I mean to write Becky? Because I'm taking notes on my phone as I'm watching. And I thought, yeah. so it was Brecky, yeah, which is, um, I think probably in some parts of this country you'll you'll have Brecky as a breakfast slang, but it's not very popular. But, ah, yeah. Yes. I did read once that Australians have the most shortened words of, like, any culture in the world. We have, I think, 4,000 shortened words in our vocabulary from the English language. So. Oh, that's interesting. We're very efficient speakers. <laughs> I'm always amazed that our friend Susie Warren, also an author, who has a lot of nicknames or shortened words. So mm-hmm. like an appetizer for her is an appy. Mm-hmm. You know, she'll, I can't remember. She has quite a list of them um, that she'll be, we'll be talking about something and she'll shorten the word. And oh, I got to make note of that. <laughs> Mozzie is the one that gets me. You would have heard in the first episode they were talking about the mozzies. And every time I hear an American say the whole word mosquito, I'm like, do your tongues not get tired saying all those syllables? Like, mozzie is just so quick and easy. (laughs) Mozzies. Well, no, we don't get tired saying that. And I live in Mosquito Alley, so. Oh, yes, you would down there in Florida. We have noceums, which bite you and you can't see them. And we have mosquitoes. Ugh, yuck. So that brings us to the end of episode two. So if you want so, to join in the conversation, mm. do so. But let's give, let's give a quick summary. How do we feel about the show so far? Are we willing to go on to episode three at this well, point? That's what, is, what has hooked you to go, yeah, I want to see what else is happening? It's hard to imagine. So I have cheated, having grown up in Australia with a familiarity of the show. And about this time last year, I had a housemate uh, who was binging the clouds. So I just kind of walked in and out as I was going about my business. But I did get sucked into a run of episodes in about season three or four. And I quite enjoyed those ones. So I know a bit about what the show becomes. And I will say it is a little different to what we're seeing now. So if you have watched the first two and you're not quite sure – the drama, the romance, that stuff really amps up uh, and I know that where we're going with it. So I have felt that the first two episodes, I was surprised. I felt they were a bit slow. They were definitely slower than I expected. I would agree with that. I would agree and with they, that. They didn't have quite as much. I love the hint of family drama, but it didn't have as much as I wanted or as much romance and action as I expected they had a lot of gratuitous shearing and farming landscape shots. And, and there was a lot of scenes where I was editing it mentally in my head. I was like, I would have cut that there. And I, at the end of the episode, I would have had like four extra minutes for a whole other, you know, piece of drama. You could have dove deeper into some other bits. So I thought it was a good, good world and some interesting characters um, the I'm getting sick of the fish out of water, city girl, country girl thing very quickly, but I know that that won't last. Um, so that's good to know. But I'm looking forward to where it's going because they've set up a world that I know gets really interesting. And um, so, yeah. Very good. From an American standpoint, it's 
a good show if you were a fan of uh, Little House on the Prairie or um, uh, we have a show here that has horses in it and I cannot remember the name of it. I will uh, remember the Heartland? name. Of the- Heartland, yes. Heartland. If you're a fan of Heartland, thank you. I had to go to the Australian <laughs> for that one. If you're a fan of Heartland, I think you'll be a fan of this show. I think you want to keep going. And like Jessica said, it is going to get better. It's, it feels very episodic and slow. And I think I would have liked a little bit more drama and a little bit more of kind of a reality dialogue between the two sisters about what they're facing. I think I would have even liked to seen Tess leave instead of helping out and, yeah. and then having to come back because she didn't have a, a choice perhaps. Mm-hmm. And so, but you know, I'm not the writer or the creator of the show, but I, I do think by episode three, we're starting to see, we're starting to see in these first two episodes, the seeds of really good characterization of really good relationships of what the show can be about. So I definitely think it's worth hanging in there. Mm-hmm, definitely. And if you guys want to tell us your opinions about these episodes so far, then you can join in the conversation on our social media on Facebook and Instagram is at McLeod's pod. And uh, Rachel is on social media at Rachel Huck, R-A-C-H-E-L-H-A-U-C-K. Uh, that's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and rachelhuck.com. Mm-hmm. And I'm realizing now I forgot to say mine in the first episode. <laughs> I know. I, I was just... thinking the same thing. You got to say who, where you are. How do we find you, Jessica? <laughs> I am Jessica Kate Writing pretty much everywhere, uh, Facebook and Instagram and JessicaKateWriting.com. Uh, if you've, I'm not on Twitter a lot, but if you want to look me up on Twitter, it's JessicaKate05. Um, and my, by the time you hear this, it will be recently released book is A Girl's Guide to the Outback, which uh, combines American and Australian characters on a farm in the Outback. So very close to the McLeod's Daughters brand of uh, romance, drama, action sort of thing, which is why we're doing this podcast. And, uh, and Rachel has a whole list of fabulous books. What are some of their titles, Rachel? Uh, by the time you're listening to this, I will have released the Fifth Avenue Story Society about five people who discover their own story in a small old-time library on Fifth Avenue in New York City. And I have The Memory House, came out last year, and a New York Times bestseller book called The Wedding Dress, which has part of the wedding collection, which has the wedding chapel and the wedding shop, and The Wedding Dress Christmas, which came out this year. So lots to read in it. I also have a royal wedding series, if you like reading about royals, and who doesn't today with the things that are going on with Harry and Meghan, and the yes. British royal family. So uh, the royal wedding series, and the first in that, Once Upon a Prince, is also a Hallmark movie. So be sure to check those out. Awesome. That is all from us for this episode. We will see you next time back on Drover's Run. Bye. Bye, everyone. Hey, guys. Just wanted to say a quick thank you to composer Bobby Abbott for our theme song. If you want to check out more about him, then you can go to Bobby Abbott Music on Facebook, and that's Abbott with two Bs and two Ts. See you all next time. Bye.